I want to read something to you this morning. It's in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. The Apostle John is speaking as Jesus pulls back the curtain of time and he gives him a glimpse of the end. And John, when he's looking, says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, and it was, it was coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I, beheld a lo- and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe all every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed. John continues, says, And he, Jesus, who was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he told John, also write this, it's trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give to the spring of water without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage that I will be his God and he will be my son, my child. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers and the sexually immoral and sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death. That was super inspiring up until that last moment, right? (laughs) That was super inspiring up until that last moment. But listen, Jesus put it in there, not for doom and gloom. Jesus put it that, that, especially that statement, because of love. Now, guys, the verse that you just saw there is a part of God's endgame, which is a series that we're doing now. That is literally a picture of the end, which I love that phrase. On the cross, Jesus declared this phrase in the Greek. And when he paid for our sins, the last word that he said before he died pretty much was, it is finished. The job that he came to accomplish, the one job he came to accomplish was done, was finished. But then I love it in the very end, what does he say? It is finished. Done. Another declaration. But this time it's fully, complete. Everything will be, have been accomplished. I love that. And so we see that, that end game of God. This is what he's going to declare. And now I love that God gave us this. And I believe at the end, I know for some of us, we all get intrigued about the book of Revelations a lot of times and the end times and what's supposed to happen and how. And we try to dissect the news and wonder, oh, what's that going to be? Oh, is that good? Oh, no. You know, and I know we love to do that and there's so many books about it. But let me give you the one thing, the one reason why God, Jesus, gave John that revelation to give us a revelation. Here's what it is. I need you to say this word with me. Say hope. Say it like you mean it, hope. All right. What is hope? See, look, God could have, Jesus, I mean, it would have been too much to try to lay everything out from the time that he was speaking all the way to the very end. Say, look, guys, here's everything I was going to play out. That would be too hard. You know, there's just certain things that need time to understand. 
and you just can't put it down on a piece of paper, this and that. But I love that he gave us this picture of the future because we know that it's despite our circumstances, even if I don't know what's happening now, why it's happening, even if this doesn't make sense or I'm frustrated, we always know in the end it's going to be okay. In the end, the Lord will win, even though we will overcome in the end, even if I feel overwhelmed today. And that's hope. That hope allows you to take that extra step through the Holy Spirit that you couldn't take before. That hope helps you to keep pushing on when you just want to give up. That's what that hope does. Now, this hope, this promise of a better future, listen, be careful because a lot of times people think, well, because in the scriptures it says, God has always taken us from glory to glory, like better and better. That doesn't mean that every day is going to be better than the next. Okay? It doesn't mean that, hey, today was great, tomorrow's going to be better. Not always. You're going to have a bad day, bad week, bad season. All right? I'm sorry. But, so that promise doesn't mean that things will always get better. What it does mean is that in the end, all things will work together. That's what that hope does. That in the end, all things will work together for all those who love God and are called by his purposes. This hope that we have in Christ through the Holy Spirit, which that's what we talked about last week, that the, God gives us, part of his end game is he gives us this Holy Spirit now as this vehicle to do the rest. So the Holy Spirit produces a level of hope in us. It helps, a, a level of hope that helps us to cope regardless of our circumstances. And this hope is powerful. And you know how I know this? Because the enemy knows this as well. Because of his strategies from me and for you. He knows that if you can have hope in the future, you're going to defeat him today. If you can have hope in the future, you're going to walk in victory today. So what the enemy does is this. He distracts you from your hope in the future by anchoring your present to pain in the past. Every single time. If he can get you to look backwards and to, in your present, if he can get you to look backwards and then all you're doing is reminiscing on past pain, if you're looking backwards, you're not looking forward. You can't see the hope that you have. In fact, just think of them. When you get into a car today, you got two pieces of glass and things that you look through. You got the driver, you know, got the, the windshield, and then you have the... Rearview mirror. Which one's bigger? Why? You need to see where you're going, right? I mean, now the rearview mirror is important. Because you need to sometimes see what's, you know, you got to look back there depending, right? You know, I almost hit somebody because I wasn't paying attention. And so, you know, like, I didn't see them coming when I changed lanes. I'm like, oh, blind spot, my fault. And so what happened? But we need that. Listen, when the Holy Spirit comes up, we need him because when we look, we can learn from our past. There's things in our past that we can look to and say, wow, God, thank you for that one time. It's like, man, I need you now. And, ooh, I remember in the past you helped me then. You can help me today. Ooh, you did it in that one person. You can help me today. You can see lessons learned and you can bring the past into the present to help you move forward. But you got to look where you're going. You got to move forward. And so the devil knows that and he wants to cut off our hope by distracting us discouraging us to kill God's purposes for your life. See, there's, again, I've been saying that the devil's end game is to end you. We've been talking about this. And he will do that. His goal is for every person, every person that's ever been born, he doesn't want anyone to ever be saved. So he wants to distract you and discourage you from finding hope in the truth of the gospel and who God is. And he'll do that by distracting you and hooking you up with pain in your past. 
and distracting your present. Well, hey, if you're a believer, same strategy. He doesn't want you to walk in your faith. He doesn't want you to walk in the spirit. He doesn't want you to walk in the light. He doesn't want you to enjoy the joy of your salvation. He doesn't want any of that. He wants you to be so focused on the pain of your past that you aren't walking forward in your hope. And so we cannot, we cannot give the devil that opportunity because the Holy Spirit in us is greater than anything else that comes against us. But we have to be careful. In fact, believers as well. See, the enemy knows, and this sometimes we think of, we, we talk, we've been talking about demons a lot over the last couple of weeks, and, and some, there are Christians that say, no, well, hey, I'm saved, I got the Holy Spirit. No demon can influence me. Listen, you can look, I, there's plenty of examples of the Bible that says, nah, man, I'm going to show you one that you probably never thought of. That's not true. That's not true. The enemy's going to want you to distract you, and that could be our Christians as well. Christians as well. In fact, here's what happens. In fact, look, right now, I got to know, you know, I don't know who has notifications like, you know, cell phone stuff, alarm, this and that. My wife got a, a tab on hers. If something opens, the alarm goes off, she has an earned thing. Well, if we would get a notification right now that, hey, somebody has broken into my house and I can see the camera. Somebody's in my house illegally. If a burglar's in my house, does that mean that burglar now owns my house? Doesn't mean he owns it. But as long as he remains, he's going to keep taking stuff. And breaking stuff. Listen, if you're a believer in Christ that we talked about last week, you are sealed and secured in the Holy Spirit. God owns you. But, but you can let a demonic influence in your life. Now, and he's in there. Doesn't mean he owns you. But if you leave him there long enough, he's just going to wreak havoc. And you can't have, in fact, let me show you one example of how that happens. This is in, we're going to look at Matthew, we're not going to put it up yet, but Matthew 18, verses 25 through, 15 through 25, I'm going to give you a quick little summary and then we're going to show you one verse. See, the enemy loves to sow, they love to break into broken hearts. See, if we're talking about hope that we have, see, one of the things that the enemy wants to do is to crush our hope. Crush our hope. And we've all experienced that. Haven't you? How many of us? A broken heart. How many of us experienced a broken heart? How many of us have broken a few hearts? Repented from that. How many of you had crushed dreams? You had a dream of your future and you thought this is what it was going to be and it's not like that. You had an idea of what, what parenting would be. And your hopes and dreams were crushed. I'm like, oh my gosh, parenting crushed me. You had an idea of what marriage was. And your marriage, uh, finances, ooh, I have this investment. My career, I'm excited. Oh, it's not what I, we've all experienced broken hearts, broken dreams, broken hope, all of that. All of us. And here's the thing, if you leave that brokenness undone, your enemy has access to you. He breaks in to broken hearts. And a lot of times, here's the thing, we, and this is the saddest thing that we don't even realize, we actually open the door. And what, I mean, how dumb would we be? I mean, was, I don't know if you like to answer the door when somebody knocks, right? Somebody be like, no. Usually I'm telling my kids, shh. <laughs> shh. Who is that? Shh, stop. No, don't pull the blinds, stop it. No, shh. I hate it when they do that. They run to the blinds. Now I got to answer. Okay. How many of us, how dumb would I be if I'm like, hey, who, hello, who is it? Like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a burglar. Uh, I want to see what you have. I'm here to just take your stuff. Oh, sure. Okay. Come on, Reddit. Right? 
We do that without knowing a lot of times to the voice of the enemy. In fact, Jesus says, he says this one parable of the wicked servant. He's having this conversation with Peter about forgiving as one theme there. And, how, and Peter goes, Lord, how many times can I forgive somebody? Seven times? And Peter was trying to show off because culturally back then there was like a, an understanding that, hey, as long as you forgive somebody three times, that's enough. But if they keep on, you know, three strikes, you're out. Like, you know, God will, f it's okay. You're excused. You don't have to forgive somebody more than three times. They, they kind of made up this rule. So Peter tried to show off like big battles, like, hey, Jesus, how about seven? To more than double. Jesus goes, no, nah, man, 70 times seven. 490? What? You know, I don't know if you ever tried to do the math of 70 times seven, right? You know, like, wait, four. That many times? I mean, how many of you would grow tired of just 300? 398, right? And so Jesus isn't saying 490 is a 400 something is a special number. And I'm wrong on that number, right? I know. I knew somebody, a math person was going to be, excuse me, what's the number? Oh, yes. Keep on going. Yes, it's infinite. Thank you. That's even better words. Then that's what he was saying. He was not saying a specific number. Jesus is saying, hey, forgiving is continual. And then he shares this story of why. Here's what happens if you, for, if you stop forgiving, Jesus says. Jesse's right when he says, and that was my next point. It was that it's continual. Because here's the second, when you stop forgiving, you open the door. And here's what happens. He, then he tells a fictitious story. And he says this. There was a wicked servant, or in fact, he didn't say wicked servant. There was a servant who owed the king $52 million according to modern day money. And he begged the king for mercy. He was like, Lord, I can't do this. I can't pay you back. I'm sorry. Have mercy. Have mercy. And the king said, don't worry. I'll forgive you all of your debts. By the way, that speaks of salvation. That is somebody who comes to God and realizes that the debt of their sin is too much to repay and to repay. And they ask and repent for mercy, and Jesus forgives. And the Father forgives you of your sins. This is talking about somebody who is saved. This is a servant and the king. And then Jesus says, and that servant then goes out, finds another fellow servant who owes him $44 according to modern money. So you can imagine 52 million, just forgiven 52 million. Here's a dude who owes him 44. And then Jesus says, the person that takes him, beats him, throws him in jail, is unwilling to forgive that debt and wants him to pay for that debt. Well, then the original, the king hears, and here's what happens. Here's his response. Let's read 18, verses 32 through 35. Here's what happens next. Then the master summoned this other servant and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of the debt because you pleaded with me. And you, and should not have you had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every person, each and every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother. So as, John, as Peter was talking about, hey, after seven, am I good after seven? He's like saying, no, nah, man, this is infinite. You can't stop. I don't care what number it is. The second you stop, here's what happens. Now, by the way, again, this is talking about a believer, somebody who experienced forgiveness of sin, and then here God is saying, I've forgiven you all of what you've done, and you're holding this tiny thing. I know maybe for you it was a big deal. I mean, this guy must have been broke for $44 maybe was a lot for him. It's like, no, you are called to be loved as I have loved, be good as I could, extend mercy the way I have. And so then that chilling statement that Jesus said, my father will do this to you if you refuse to forgive. Now, 
this isn't God is not necessarily punishing us. He's allowing ourselves. We're punishing ourselves and he's allowing it. And here's what happens in the statement. By the way, do you see the word jailers? It actually gets translated to torturers. So here he's saying, if you are unwilling to forgive, I have to surrender you to torturers. I, it is, you are willingly, you are choosing this life. You are opening the door to them. And I have to surrender you to these torturers. And I, notice what he says, I will do it. That's a promise. Now, why would God do this? By the way, this is where I said, hey, even believers can come under the influence of the enemy. In the Old Testament, time after time after time, the people of Israel, when they were hard, you know, the heart of heart and not repenting and wicked in their sins, God would deliver them to the enemy who would torture them and it would enslave them. And then they would turn around and say, Lord, forgive us. We, they woke up, repented, came back. God forgave them. By the way, that's not just in the Old Testament. Do you know that's in the New in 2 Corinthians, there's a crazy statement where Paul says, hey, there's this one guy who's causing a lot of problems. Surrender him to Satan. Could you imagine if I just said, hey, y'all remember John? Look, John's sitting right here. Everyone, you know, surrender that dude to Satan. I just called him out in front of everybody. Could you imagine? Paul says that. What do you mean surrender him to Satan? It's because this person was so hard in there, like, they, they, they weren't listening to anything. I was like, look, you just got to let him experience the full weight of his consequences. But you know what's cool? That was in 1 Corinthians. In the second letter of Corinthians, we now, we know that that person was repented. That person repented that they surrendered to Satan. He repented because then later on in 2 Corinthians, he's saying, yeah, that guy, okay, forgive him. God forgave him, now forgive him and bring him back in. It's okay, bring him back in. Now, why am I saying this? It's old and new because this can happen to you. This is both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this can happen to you. Here's what happened. Here's what he's saying here. When we are unwilling, when we're willing to walk in darkness and we experience either unforgiveness or we refuse to forgive because of a level of brokenness, broken trust, a broken heart, whatever it else, whatever else, we allow the enemy to break in to that broken area. And the enemy has legal grounds to you if you leave that open and you never surrender it to God. And then the torturers, we all know, we all know what this is like. That voice in our head, the feeling in our heart, the weight on our shoulders. And why would God do this? You would think, but this is a loving God. Why would he do this? You know why? Because he loves you. He knows that if he leaves you in your condition, you will die in your sins. And if you're a believer in Christ, you may be saved, but God's purposes for your life are going to be destroyed. So what happens is, is he allows you to feel the weight of your consequences in hopes that you would feel that bondage, in hope that you would feel the weight, wake up, turn to God and said, I'm sorry, forgive me, bring me back. And he will do that. He does it so we can wake up because he doesn't want us to die in our sin. So out of love, he will surrender us to experience that difficulty. I know that's hard to, for us to process, but I need you to know that out of love, he will do that. But we cannot break free. Until we turn to him. In fact, here's this one statement I want to say is that we are unable to break free until we refuse to live in that misery. You are unable to break free until you refuse to live in that misery. Until you say, God, I can't take a day of this anymore. I'm sorry. I have sinned against people, against you. Forgive me. I can't take another day of this. Rescue me. And he will do that. That's the good news. That even though we may experience brokenness and broken heart, a broken hope, we are not left hopeless. We are not left hopeless. We can break free. 
In fact, let me show you. We're going to look at the next section here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But this is why, listen, this is constant, guys. This is a constant thing. Because whether we, when we open the, the door to one thing, man, whew, this is like a burglar who's like, he sees it's good. And it was like, he calls up his other burglar friends and like, yo, you know, yo, no one else is here, bro. Come on, get in. This is hot. It's full here. Let's go. And so that's what, the, that's what demons do. Let me give you one example. Because especially when we experience brokenness, the spirit of rejection can fall on people. We've been focusing on a few different spirits, but I wanted to read something that I wrote here. When we experience brokenness and rejection, and we don't give it to God, then the spirit of rejection falls on us, and here's what happens. Rejection then can cause the enemy to sow seeds of bitterness in our brokenness. And then when we experience rejection and we let it settle, we grow bitter to God, bitter to people, bitter to those who had nothing to do with our circumstance, but now we just bitter to everybody. When we experience rejection and it falls heavy on us, it fuels a sense of insecurity. I know for me, like I was, when I would be rejected by kids at school and for, you know, this and girls and whatnot, then I was so insecure myself because they were saying, well, you're not good enough. You're not worthy for me. So then I would adjust and say, okay, well, who is being chosen? Who's being selected? How can I cope and be like somebody else? So my pursuit to be popular was just because I didn't love myself. Because I felt unworthy. It was that insecurity that because I took that rejection and didn't give it to God to heal me. So that rejection can lead to insecurity. It could lead people to be easily offended. All right. Listen, rejection can cause people to be easily triggered. I don't know. Some of you might, by the way, you, some of you might find yourself in one of these. And if not, I guarantee you, you know somebody. And if you don't know of a person, it's you, okay? <laughs> if you can't think of anyone else, of like, I don't know anyone like this. Just look in the mirror. You'll find at least one person. Listen, rejection, what did I say? Rejection can cause people to be easily offended. Easily offended because it's like a bruise. Like I actually have, uh, I've heard a tendon on my arm. And if I bump, I've bumped up against it a couple times, and it's fine, but if somebody hits it, it hurts again. So if you have a wound that has not been treated and somebody else bumps into you, it triggers that past pain, and now you, it just, you know, you're just easily offended by the littlest thing. And then you associate non-related things to a past pain, and you're constantly in this cycle. Not only that, but rejection can cause people to bur uh, have bursts of anger. You all know people like this. I've, I've, I have some of those where sometimes you're so mad and angry about something, it just boils up. And, it's, and, and if you know people who just, just lose it, just like black out and just go at the root of it, it might not be that they have a, an issue with anger, but their issue with anger is because they experience a form of rejection, that that's the root of it, that's fueling that anger. And that's what needs to be treated. It was the rejection. Rejection can cause people to experience excessive loneliness, of course. If you're rejected and you stay that way, you leave that, it's going to be excessive loneliness. It produces then a level of pride also. Rejection can produce a level of pride that causes people to reject good advice. Here's the crazy thing about rejected people. If you feel rejected, you reject everyone else. Even good advice. We all know this. We all know people when you tell them, Wake up, bro. That's not, oh my gosh. That's it. You want to tell them and you know what they need to do, but they don't hear it and they don't want to hear it. It's because they have been so wounded that they are even willing to reject the good people in their life, the people that want to help them, they reject them. The good voices in their life, they're willing to reject them 
to their detriment. That's so sad. But that's when, when you see people like that, it's because they're experiencing rejection. And the, the crazy, vicious cycle of rejection is this. I know, I've experienced this. Pretty sure some of you too. Rejected people push other people away because they're scared of being hurt again. They do it out of self-preservation. Like, last time I trusted somebody, it didn't go good. So then they could become guarded. And then they, then that hurts all other relationships. And the more that they push other people away, people that actually love them and actually accept them, but if deep down they feel rejection and it's an open wound, they push people away and they reject other people. But then here's the sad part. They see people at a distance because you've sent them there. And then they say, see, they're rejecting me. You see that? And then that, refe that, that feeds the, the lie. You, they reject, rejected people reject people, and then they see, well, they're rejecting me, which causes you to reject more people. And then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. See, Jesus says, if you open these doors, man, that's, can you, do you see what I mean about delivering to torturers? This is what this is. There's people that live like this. There's some of you, if you I'm gonna, you know, some of y'all maybe have a good Sunday face. But, but, but your Sunday, Sunday morning face, but your Sunday afternoon face, it's different. Because I'm like, shoot, yeah. Listen, God cannot set you free until you, are, until you refuse to live in that misery. But here's the good thing, though. He can and does and does want to set you free. 2 Corinthians, look, I read this verse a couple weeks ago. We're going to read it again and in detail. Look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. We can put it up. Yep. Look at this. Paul is telling this church, for, through, for, uh, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war in the flesh. The flesh meaning there's the natural things of this earth. And he says, we may live in the natural realm, but we wage war in a spiritual realm in a different way. He says, we wage war in the flesh. We are not waging war according to the flesh. Sorry. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not physical ones, but they have divine spiritual power to destroy strongholds. Which we talked about, this is going to be a lies of the enemy that have a stronghold on you. Okay, a lie like rejection. Like people that were living, like I just said, that rejection has a stronghold on you. It's a fortress. They have entrenched and set up camp in your life, in your mind. But here's the thing. We destroy every argument, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish, uh, punish, yes, be ready to punish every disobedience. And that was uh, the next verse. But I love that phrase that says take every thought captive. And notice those things, thoughts, arguments, and it was only, was it opinions? Okay, opinions, thoughts, and arguments. All that stand up against the knowledge of God, the truth. Because the enemy knows if he can cut us off from the hope that we have in the, which is fueled by the word of God, which is fueled by the spirit in us, if he can cut off our future hope and the source of that hope, he disarms us. He disarms you. Because the weapons that you have, he has no defense towards if you're a believer in Christ. He can't defend against these weapons. So he knows he can't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you. He, he, doesn't, he is not as powerful. So he has to disarm you of your power, which is all comes from God. The word of God, the hope that we have, your belief in the Holy Spirit. And if he can get you to lay in that sin, that open door, disarmed. That's what happens. That's what happens. And notice, every thought against the knowledge of God, the truth of God, that brings us hope. That brings us healing. He wants to cut all those things off. But the thing is that we have weapons 
that can stand against those things. In fact, Paul, in this letter, which you talked about last week, in, in another letter to the Ephesians, he goes in detail and gives this picture of what this soldier looks like. We call it the armor of God. It's in Ephesians 6. He uses this image of a Roman soldier, and which back today would be totally different if he was living in today. But he used the image that people knew. It was the most strongest, most powerful warrior of the day. And he says, listen, we have an armor. And this armor is not physical. This armor is made of light. This armor is made of love. This armor is made of truth. And if you look at everything, the helmet of salvation, the chest plate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the shoes of the gospel, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, they're all the same thing. They're all made of the same thing, light and truth. That where does salvation come from? Salvation comes from when we hear the word of God and put place our faith. It comes from truth. Where does our righteousness come from? From believing and trusting in, putting our confidence in the truth of God, who Jesus, who makes us righteous. Where does our faith come from? Our faith is fueled when we trust and believe in the word of God. It is fueled in there. Where are the gospel of peace, the shoes, truth? That's the truth of God. The sword of the spirit is truth. The spirit is truth. The sword is our truth right here. But then there was the belt, which I love this one. I'm going to pause for a second on the belt. I don't know if we got any fans who just, you know, I need, I need uh, I don't know, you know, there's some really cool belts out there. You ever seen those big, big buckle, them nice ones, right, and some other ones? I got to give me one of those one day. And so just to have it. I just feel like I need to have it just in case, right? And it's so cool now. I mean, buckle, belts, man, are a super nice accessory. Belts are nice. But listen, belts are functional. But why would Paul say we have a belt of truth? Why would he say we have a belt of truth? To keep your pants up? I mean, no, that is, I don't get it. What's the belt of truth do? Watch. The belt, where do belts go? The belts go around your waist. Follow me. Belts go around your waist. This area of the human body, your waist, is where we reproduce and it's where we eliminate. We good? Please, I don't want to have to explain it probably past that. Okay, we're good? The belt of truth around your waist is where we reproduce and where we eliminate. When you put the belt of truth on, when you are secured in the truth of who God is and who you are in the spirit and you're filling up on the word of God, when you, have those, when you put on the belt of truth in the morning, then that truth reproduces Christ-like character in you. It reproduces holiness in you and eliminates the enemy and it eliminates darkness in your life. That's what it does. That's what it does. But, but it works the same way. The other way. If you don't have a belt of truth on, you're putting on a belt of a lie. And the lies of the enemy will reproduce more lies, will reproduce further darkness and enslavement and eliminate the truth of God in your life. It works both ways. You have to be purposeful. This is why Paul was saying, put it on. Put it on. Be purposeful. Put it on. Put it in your life. Put it in your mind, in your heart, everything. Put it on and know who you are in it. This isn't, this is more than a book. This is more than a book. It is life in it, and we have to make sure we are being purposeful about it. And then he says that statement, right? Because you can't, all of the lies, the arguments, all of those things, the enemy's trying to put that belt on you to reproduce the bad and eliminate the good. But what did Paul say in that statement? Take every thought captive. You take every thought captive. Your weapons, you could, you know, you look, don't, you don't have to be courteous to demons. Look, man, I know we're supposed to be all loving and nice Christians, right? You don't say, excuse me, depression? I'm, I'm sorry, but um, I have company coming over. Do, if you're not doing anything, do you, do you mind um, 
coming. Oh, oh, it, in, in security. Yeah, I see you in the corner. Hey, um, do, do you mind coming this way? I, let, me, let, me show you, let me show you the door and, and just, if, if, if it's okay with you. Look, that's not, we're supposed to take it captive, take it hostage. In fact, that Greek phrase, to take it captive, is like to take it by spear point. That's what it's saying. And so when you have the truth, when you got, look, when you got the truth, look, when you got that sword, right, and you see depression, you be like, what you doing? What you doing there? Right? What you doing there? And then you see, then, you know, then right there, and then you see that lie. I'm like, what you, what you hear? And to take every thought captive is not to be courteous. You know what that phrase means? It means to find the lie, locate the lie, grab it, grab it by its hair, pull its neck back, and put that thing to its neck and say, you coming with me. You can't be here. You coming with me. That's what that is. That you put the sword to its neck. And you say, no, you're done. This is not, you do not belong here. And you escort that individual out. You escort that lie. You say, okay, there. I'm, y'all blinded. Y'all being blinded. That's what you do. <laughs> That's what we're called to do. You don't have to live in that misery. God has given us himself the ability to live past and live free. But you need that truth in you. Notice that, the, notice that all that truth, it covered the waist, it covered the mind, it covered the heart, the sword goes in your hands, the shoes on your feet, and just to be safe, the Roman soldier shield was actually a full body shield. So whatever else you couldn't protect, that stood its guard. So it goes all over your heart, your mind, everything. We need all of that. In fact, let me show you how crazy, the, the, how awesome the word of God is. Because the enemy knows this and he will try to keep you from the hope that is found in the word of God to block your blessings. He will cut you off from the hope, try to keep you anchored into your, the pains of your past to block your blessings. But the good news of that is that, look, you don't even have to be like going off of, uh, you know, trying to see where it's at. And, because there's things in you that you probably don't even know it's there. Pain, hurt, memories. In fact, some of you, as I've been talking about pains in your past, some of you are probably been distracted listening to me because these memories are coming to surface and popping up. I just want you to know that don't freak out. Don't ignore that because I think God is bringing some of those memories to the surface because he's going to cut that off. Okay? Just so you know. Just so you know. So, so here's the thing, you don't got to be wise enough to figure out and go hunting and searching deep down inside yourself every nook and cranny because God's word can do and find areas that you don't even know. Check it out. Look at what the book of Hebrews says. Speaking of the word of God, Hebrews chapter 4 is the last, uh, second to last verse of the day. Hebrews chapter 4, 12 and 13, the author of Hebrews says this, verse 12, 13, for the word of God. So any word that God has spoken to you, and especially this right here. So the word of God, what is it? 4, 2, 12. There, I lost my spot. That was me trying to buy time. Okay. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from its sight, but all who are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Okay. 
Now, I, I heard, I, I was, as I was prepping and praying and, and I was just listening to a random sermon just for my benefit and purpose, and this next statement came across, and this actual verse came across, and I'm like, oh, that's not just for me. I got to share that one, and so I need to share it with you today. And here's what's amazing about this, this pastor was breaking this verse down. Notice it says it is living and active. The word of God is living and active. And he says, the, what the author of Hebrews is saying, unlike most books or posts or magazines, Unlike most things that you read, when you read the Word of God, the Word of God reads you. That's what that was saying. In fact, I want you to leave the verse up. I want you to see this. The Word of God reads you. As you read it, it reads you. It shows you who you are. It shows you who God is and what he can do. But it reads you. Living and active. It's all, it, with the, the way I love this image, the Word of God that this pastor was talking about, the Word of God is like a software. Look, if you ever had a phone, you ever had a computer, it needs an update, right? You ever had to do one of those and has to update overnight? Or I've had a few circumstances that I forgot to save a document and it updated automatically. I lost everything. I'm so upset. That happens. Crushed hopes and dreams, speaking of, right? So with that, listen, if we all need updates, we all need to download that software to our hardware, to computers or phones, to make things better. Listen, you and I, this, this body... Our mind, our hearts, it's our hardware. And our hardware needs updating from time to time. Needs uh, a lot, okay? Some of us daily, some of us minute by minute. But we need it. We need updating. And the Word of God is the software. Every time we read it, reread it, believe it, here we go, apply it, okay? You got to apply. Look, I can have a software, but if it just sits on the disk or sits in an empty folder and I'm not clicking apply you know, to the, it's not going to do. So you can read it, apply it, memorize it. When you memorize it and apply it, you are downloading this heavenly software. And the more you download this software, it updates you. It reprograms you. It reprograms your mind. Your heart renews your mind. That's what it does. But it also has a built-in virus removal program. Because when you input the word of God in your life, it seeks out Everything, every lie of the enemy and, re and eliminates that and cancels and kills all the viruses that are in there. That's what the word of God does. That's what it does. This isn't just mini five-minute devotional. Okay, that was great for the day. Okay, next. Man, when you do it right, when you do it right, it updates you. It restores. It renews. And it kills. It has, an anti, it has a, a virus removal program. And it will go in there and things you didn't even know were there. And God will pull that out and show you that and heal that and set you free from that. All those little things. That's, it is living and active. And yeah, I had a, I'm not going to pull the sword up, but I guess I was reflecting the mirror in some of your eyes. I'm like, oh, God. And I was like, what the? Okay. So, but this is a two-edged sword. Okay. Obviously, two edges, one point. It has one point, two edges on either side. It's supposed to be sharp. On, this is not it's fake. So, so it's a two-edged sword. A one point, two edges. The word of God is like that. It is one word, one God, one truth. There's two edges to it. The word of God is both a killer and a healer. Because with one swipe, one swipe of the word of God, it, with two edges, one swipe, it kills the work of the enemy in your life and heals the wounds at the same time. That's what that does. With one swipe, God does that. That's what that verse is declaring. And no creature can what? What did it say? No creature can what? Hide. By the way, on the last time I checked, demons are created beings, creatures. There is not a demonic lie that can hide 
from the word of God. Not one. Not one. And not one that can stand against it. Not one that, that, that a demon can say, uh, God, no. Okay? No, like, uh, no, it's going to be like, no. You know, they can still say no, but, but they gone. It was like, they can still say no, and they on their way. All right? They can say all they want. They can't stay. That's what that is. All right? That's what that is. That's who God is. And that's what God wants to do every day. We all need this. Because if Peter says, oh, the minute you stop, the work of the enemy starts. The minute you stop, the work of the enemy starts. And he says, man, it's continual. Walk in my light. Continue to walk. Jesus said continually, continually. Paul, continually. All the apostles. Continue, continue, continue. Faithfully. Keep going. Keep going. And if you slip out, then come back. Repent. Refuse to live in that misery. I will fix that. I'll bring you back together. And then keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Listen, I know for, for a lot of us, like I was saying, those painful, maybe some of us may have some struggle with painful memories. You know, it's one great way. It's not a guaranteed safe bet. Don't take it. I'm not, you know, doing like that. But this helps. Sometimes with the painful memories that we have, what's good to do is uh, memorize scripture. So if there's a, a constant pain, a constant hurt, a constant wound that just won't go away, that keeps on rearing its ugly head, find a verse in the Bible. Find a verse in the Bible that combats that. Memorize that, and every time that lie comes up, you put the you put the you know the sword to its neck, and then you 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 come back with it. Because if you don't got that, then it's gonna. Here's the thing: if you don't take your thoughts captive, your thoughts take you captive. Remember the tortures that Jesus says He will surrender us to. If you don't take your thoughts captive, they take you captive. Good news is, is that you're bigger, you're stronger, you're mightier through Jesus Christ. But if they disarm you from the hope that you have in Christ, from the word of God, you can't fight. You can't fight in your flesh. You can't. You can take, you can come against those painful memories by learning to memorize scripture. And if you want one, let me give you one, an easy one. We're all going to memorize today. Ready? Isaiah 40, 31. I misquoted this one earlier. Is it up there? Isaiah 40, 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Let's memorize that one. All right, ready? Here we go. This is, by the way, when I memorize the scripture, I'll try to say it 10 times reading it, try to create a mental image, close my eyes, and say it 10 times. I, we ain't got time for that. So let's just do three and one. Ready? Look at this and picture every word as you say it. We're going to read it three times. Let's do it together. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That's one. Again. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Again. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Isaiah 40, 31. Close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. And I want you to say, imagine if you like you're reading it, imagine the words, say it again. But those who hope in the Lord will renew. Okay, open your eyes and look at the promises there. Those who hope will. You see that? If you put your hope, you will. It's a promise of God. Isaiah 40, 31. Promised. It will happen. And I love the opening, the, the, the beginning of that verse. But, so when you're experiencing pain, brokenness, frustration, I don't know what I'm going to do. This hurts. And then the enemy's rearing up. And this and that. But, oh, hold on. But if those who have hope in the Lord will renew their strength, and then it, God will give you that. Listen, you have to. You have to come back to this because here's what the enemy will do. This is, uh, this is crazy. Here's what the enemy will do. Can I get... Um, Never mind. I'm not going to use anybody. Again, if you don't take thoughts captive, they'll take you captive. The enemy will wait. In, in the in book of Corinthians, he says that the devil and his servants 
operate as angels of light, uh, angels of light, disguise themselves as angels of light. The best way that the, de- the enemy will get you to believe in a lie is to pretend to be the truth. And here's what happens. When you experience brokenness, frustration, pain, whatever else it is, the enemy sees that as a golden opportunity. They put the mask up, they put a smile on, and they put their armor on your waist and their armor on your shoulder. And then they mimic the Holy Spirit who's supposed to be our comforter. And then the demons mimic the Holy Spirit by trying to comfort us. I say, man, I can't believe they did that. Could you believe what that person said to you? You don't deserve that. Man, you don't deserve to be true. You're better than this. You're better than this. You're worth more than that. They don't deserve you. Oh, do you remember that one thing that they did a long time ago too? Oh, right? Right? Can't believe, man, you don't need them. You're good. You're fine. The enemy will put their armor on your shoulder, try to comfort you. And you will stop and you will no longer remain free the minute you agree. The minute you put your arm back on your shoulder and be like, you know what? You're right. I do deserve better. That person, forget them. You know? Oh, oh, and, and let me tell you one thing. Oh, yeah, you remember? Oh, let me tell you this other time they did this. Oh, you, do you know about that? Oh, my gosh. Round and round you go. And then when you agree, here's what happens. Your, your fake comforter turns into your real tormentor. The second you begin to believe in the lies and you think, oh, you, com- you comforted by this lies, that warm arm on your shoulder okay, comes around your neck. And then they'll say things like this. You're never going to forget this. They'll say that you can, you can never forgive them. You're never going to come back from this. You're never going to come back from this. You're, you know, like, there's no more hope. You're going to die alone now. You can't trust anyone. You can't trust anybody. They're just going to hurt you again. And that fake comforter turns into a real tormentor. This is why you need to know the truth. This is why you need to know who God is. And the good news is, let me tell you who God is, because again, those who put their where? Their hope in what? The Lord, what's going to happen? Renew their strength. So when you have no strength left, even at this moment, you can turn to the Lord and remember and have that hope, and then the Spirit will give you that strength to escort that demon somewhere else and escort that lie somewhere else. Because every time the enemy, I'm telling you, the enemy is lying to you when he says things that you'll never be able to forget this. You'll never be able to truly forgive. You can't bounce back. You can bring the sword up to their neck and say, uh, no, because God says the truth. I can forgive that person. I can forget this pain. Where I can remember this memory and not remember the pain. I can live like that. And I can bounce back from this because God came back from the dead. So you don't know what you're talking about. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's the lie. And that is where the step we need to take, where you all need to take. Because listen, we all have been crushed and experienced a form of brokenness. So many of you probably came up, you put your mask on because you didn't want, you know, deep down, you, you spiritually limping. Mentally, emotionally, you're limping. You're hurting, but, but you don't want to put a brave face on. This is not the time or the place. Listen, church, a church and our church, we desire it to be the safest place where you can be the real you, put the mask off, and say, I need help. I need Jesus. This should be the safest place in the world for that to happen. No judgment, none of that, and say, I just need God. And I believe it is. 
And listen, you can come back from brokenness, from a crushed spirit, from all these things, from hopes and dreams. See, Jesus, one of Jesus' things, his, he declared in Luke 4 that I came to set at liberty the oppressed. I came to set at liberty the oppressed. Now, it could be the oppressed physically, like with physical issues. That can be. I can come to set those people oppressed, but also emotionally, spiritually, mentally. That you don't have to walk out of there with that demon around your neck trying to suffocate the last bit of life that you have. Jesus was broken and crushed for our sins so we can be freed and find and be restored in his love. And I love, I just come back to that verse. If you think of the end again, what we talked about in Revelation, right? He says there, he talks about this future hope that we have. And the more we look to that future hope, the more we look to that future hope, the more we hold on to God and the Holy Spirit to produce that hope in us, that future joy, man, that sounds awesome. That paint, the picture that we painted at the beginning. Well, here's the thing. When you hold on to that hope, that future joy becomes your present joy. That future joy becomes your present joy. When you know that your God is bigger than anything else, just like David. David took out his giant with a rock and a sword. I don't know if you know that. He, he was a sword. He knocked it out with the rock and cut his head off with the sword. Listen, it's the same thing. You can take all of those giants and lies of the enemy and you come against them with the rock of your salvation, Jesus Christ, and the sword of the spirit, and it's done. That's what you can do. That's what we have in him. That's what we can be. That's our reality. Every, there is not one giant that's not going to fall from that rock and is going to survive a swipe of that sword. Not one. But you got to claim it and receive it. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Jesus painted a picture of those people who one day will drink from a, a living water. Well, the people one day in the future in heaven who are going to be drinking that living water, they learn to sip on that water already here. Memorizing the scripture, reading it, apply it. Look, put down the tea and pick up the water. That's what you need to do. All right, sip on some water. You got to sip some more on some water. Put down the tea, put down the water, sip on this, sip on this. For those, some of you, you don't catch the slang. Okay, tea is like gossip. Okay, there it is. So put that down, start sipping on, sipping on the word of God. Just, all right, just take a sip. All right, take a sip. Continually, regularly sip and let that living, active word just do and undo all that's in there. Keep on taking a sip because those who are going to drink of that water have already been drinking it already here. And we have access to that to the Spirit. And we can keep doing that. Knowing that even though tomorrow might not be better than today. Tomorrow might not be better than today. But we have a hope knowing that all things will work together. All things will work together. From now until the day when Jesus declares... Wiping away every tear from our eyes. Where we will experience no more brokenness, no more fear, no more shame. Where death itself and pain will be gone forever.